Hi there, this is Watchin, and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for black women on the corporate climb. This episode is brought to you by The Memo, the weekly I Choose the Ladder newsletter that goes out every Monday to help you with your career development during the week. In the newsletter, I share articles that I found helpful as a black woman working in corporate America, career development resources, job opportunities, and upcoming I Choose the Ladder events. Everything we do is released to the subscribers of the newsletter first. If the memo sounds like something you'd like to receive, you can subscribe by texting CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. Again, that's CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. In this episode, you meet Chastity Lord, one of my real-life superheroes. Chastity has spent two decades dedicated to dismantling systems of inequity for marginalized communities. Chastity is currently the president and CEO at Jeremiah Program a national organization committed to disrupting the cycle of poverty for single mothers and their children two generations at a time. Prior to joining the Jeremiah program, Chastity also served as the chief operating officer at Color of Change, a racial justice organization with over 2 million members. Prior to joining Color of Change, Chastity was the chief external officer of Achievement First, a nonprofit organization that operates 42 charter schools in Rhode Island, Connecticut, and Brooklyn. Over five years, Chastity worked with community leaders to secure $200 million, favorable expansion terms, and progressive educational policy funding, helping level the playing field for poor and marginalized community. Later, Chastity spent eight years at the Posse Foundation, which is how I know Chastity, Um, and Posse is a nationally recognized and MacArthur Genius Award college access program devoted to public high school students who show academic and leadership potential, but may be overlooked by the traditional college admissions process. Chastity's professional North Star and commitment to equity and social justice for the past two decades is influenced by her own personal experience as a first-generation college graduate. Chastity understands that education is not the panacea for inequity, but unapologetically credits it to transforming how she dreams and disrupts how she dreams and disrupts the cycle of poverty for her own family. Chastity has a BA in organizational communication from University of Oklahoma and an MBA in strategy and marketing from Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. She's a 2012 Pahar Aspen Fellow with the Aspen Global Leadership Network and serves on the board of Shriver National Center on Poverty and Law. Now, you all know that I typically do not interview nonprofit professionals um, for the podcast, not because I don't think that they are amazing and talented and smart and brilliant, but because the audience that listens to the podcast are women in the corporate space. But once you listen to this interview, you will understand why I made this exception for Chastity. She literally is one of the most um, intentional people that I know. She's one of the most um, brilliant minds that I've ever had the opportunity to be around and I'm just grateful to have her as someone in my life. Um, But just a couple, just one quick note. So towards the end of the episode, you'll start hearing like some uh, beeping every once in a while. When we taped this episode, my pop, my laptop was literally on its last leg, so it was cutting up, but it goes away after a while. And there were a couple of sound issues, but nothing that's going to interrupt the experience uh, of the brilliance that is chastity. So as always, grab your I Choose the Ladder notebook, pen, and your favorite beverage, and get ready to get this work. So hi, chastity. 
thank you so much for being on the podcast today. For you all who don't know, Chaffee's been in my life for half my life. This is wild to me. Like she's known since I was 18 years old, um, about to be 37. Uh, um, and she's different from the guests that we normally have because you guys know we don't really interview people who work in nonprofit. And if they do currently work in nonprofit, they spend a significant uh, portion of their careers in, in the for profit world. That is not Chastity's story, but there is a reason why I chose Chastity. Um, all of the work that she has done in the nonprofit space has been very intentionally focused on moving communities of color forward. Um, she has been a champion for black women since I've met her, right? Even as a, when I was younger, like the ways that she pushed us and encouraged us because of who we were and the, the potential that she saw in us. Um, and the work that she does impacts black women who work in the corporate space. Um, when she started working with Posse, like most of us are now in corporate and the ways that her encouragement, her advocacy has shaped the way that we move through corporate make for me made sense to have her on the podcast. Um, I am a lot of who I am because Chastity saw the little little rub around the edge of Shardy in college and was like, girl, we're going to get you right. And she got me right. So Chastity, thank you for being here. You're being generous watching. You're being generous, but uh, you're welcome. I, uh, I'm genuinely uh, looking forward to our conversation and uh, one of my superpowers is making space. So thank you. You're welcome. So the first question, um, how did you decide that you would be in nonprofit as opposed to for-profit for your career? Like you could have done anything. You have an MBA. You could very well be running a line of business in a corporation. How did you choose the nonprofit route? So I don't think the nonprofit, I chose a nonprofit route. I think in a lot of ways, um, the social impact space chose me. You'll notice I typically don't even use the word nonprofit because it's just a tax code. Uh, and it's not much different than any other particular uh, industry within the context of that. And so I'll tell you a quick story. So in undergrad, I probably second semester, this woman came on campus called Marion Wright Edelman uh, from Children's Defense Fund. I didn't know anything about CDF or Children's Defense Fund. And I was blown away. I didn't know a person could do that with their life. And um, I made a commitment to myself that I was going to go work for CDF uh, in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And I literally flipped the script option. I went from just like being a student on campus, first generation, just being there. And that was enough to like running for Congress, getting super involved, running and you know, all these other different things. And so uh, that was my first four way. I moved to D.C. I did not uh, ever work for CDF. Um, I'll leave that alone, but I did, I was on the hill for a little bit and um, and I, I just started to kind of invest in these uh, different ventures. And what I fell in love with through Marion Wright Elderman was how do you use your talent and your service for um, these exceptional um, outcomes? And that's what I fell in love with. I thought my life was, um, it still doesn't make sense, but the only thing that I can think about is these incredible organizations and programs that um, played such a critical role in helping me reimagine, redream. And, you know, that's ultimately why I do this work. Um, and we can talk a little bit more about it uh, within the context of that, but just know I just see it as a, a tax code. Uh, this is about social impact. Mm. And so for you, like, did you have parents who were in the professional space who encouraged you to like, pursue some like specific route or did you kind of figure it 
figured it out. I think uh, I was raised in a single parent home. Uh, my mom education was the lever. It was the, she didn't know there was a lot that she didn't know, but it was the thing that she bet on all day, every day. And uh, she instilled in us in this incredible way. I knew I wanted to go to college. I never thought about graduating candidly. Uh, that wasn't a part of the, the framework. Uh, I didn't have anyone who, um, I literally did not know anybody. My, I say my grandmother, my mom couldn't have dreamed my life because they didn't know anybody like me. I mean, it just didn't exist. And um, that's what's so beautiful about um, what happens regarding opportunity. I know we're going to talk about ambassadorship and all these other different things is that um, education is the lever. It's not the panacea for inequity in our country, a social economic mobility, but it does transform and put you in rooms and puts you um, and gives you an opportunity to get proximate to new ways to dream, new ways to reimagine. Uh, in my case, new ways to be unreasonable around what's possible. Mm. And so how did you, or did you find mentors to help you figure it out, right? Because this, that world, especially as someone who's first generation, right? Like, and you're, you're coming up against things for the first time a lot of the time, you can't go ask a parent or an aunt or someone in your family to say, hey, here's this challenge. How do I deal with it? And I think a lot of the women who listen to the podcast are first generation and they are struggling to find people who will invest in their careers and invest in their advancement. So how did you figure that mentorship space out? So, you know, I, 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 I am genuinely um, looking forward to answering this question. One of the things I know, um, I talked about, I live a life that my mom and my grandmother couldn't have dreamed for me is that I think, we think about mentorship uh, within um, oftentimes just the formal framework. And I think uh, there's a duality to it, maybe even a, um, uh, even a myriad different pathways. I think there's informal and formal mentors. There are people who have been mentors for me that I've never even talked to um, because it's through observation. It's through listening, how they show up, how they don't show up within the context of that. And so first and foremost, I would say that I am a student of life. I'm a student of excellence. I'm a student of um, exceptionalism. And exceptionalism, excellence isn't around being perfect. It's around trying to understand what drives you. How do you spend your downtimes? What does the, the break between the rays look like? I love that stuff. And so um, I'm never going to be a surgeon, but I will, um, I will read about... Um, the, the hygiene of some of the best surgeons in our country, because that fascinates me. I'm very intrigued regarding how you approach the, that operation and reimagine what was possible within the context of that. And how can I take that energy and apply it? Now, that's an informal kind of piece, just staying, being a constant learner. And I think those really are mentoring. You can be on the plane, you can be on the line with something, somebody, and sometimes a really acute frustrating, disrespectful moment shows up. It's how someone handles it. I love that. Um, I, was, um, I was on the phone with um, Ava DuVernay. Yeah, I'll name drop for a second because it's, it makes sense. Uh, within, and I was working on this project and um, someone was disappointing her and how she navigated that moment. She goes, let's take a pause and let's uh, approach that from a different way. Literally in that moment, she taught me how to have high expectations without um, 
compromising the dignity or the humanity of that person. And I think about that moment often. I learned a ton of other stuff, but that's probably the thing I think about. And I've never talked to her about it within the context of that. Mm. In addition to that, there are formal mentors. There are people that um, I love to just go in. I was talking to you um, earlier watching about um, being on the phone with someone yesterday and we're talking about a host of things and there's something I'm grappling with in my life that a book can't answer. No one probably has actually um, dealt with it before. And I said, hey, can I take a moment and give you a sticky problem? This is the way that I'd like to use you. And I laid it out there in um, the way. And that's a mentoring moment because I'm allowing somebody else to be a, a sounding board, a thought partnership within the context of that. Mentoring also, lastly, watching in the way that I think about it, it doesn't have to be hierarchical. Sometimes a mentor or mentee can have a different age range. Sometimes someone can be less senior than I, less experienced in the sitting work. There's lots of different ways that can actually show up in um, an amazing way. Um, I love the the whole idea around it. It's really just being a student of life though, for sure. So I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit. Can you think of a situation that's good and then tell us what would be required for it to be excellent? Right? Like because I think a lot of a lot of us get like we get comfortable, like, well, it's good enough, it's good, but we don't necessarily understand like what that extra like oh, that we can put on it to make it excellent, right? And for us, excellence is the goal, not perfection, but excellence. Um, so what is something that like if you do it this way, it's good, but if you just add this little thing, it then becomes excellent. I would say one of the ways that I would approach that question, there's two ways. One is I'm going to give you something kind of concrete that you can do. And then I'm going to tell you um, how I think about um, excellent and good and, and that whole kind of continuum. Something concrete that you can do is one of the things you're often dealing with a lot of disparate pieces of information. And there's a lot of people that will organize them and check. There's a lot of people who will um, organize them and then prioritize them around some with, you know, some framework in mind. Okay. And then they check. And then there are people who will organize them, prioritize them, and then manage to outcomes. That is where excellence resides. You're constantly trying to approach something from a myriad of different vantage points. And so if you're giving a gift to someone, I'm going to be a slightly kind of uh, vacuous and kind of keep it really baseline, you can just think about watching wants X, or I can think about how do I want her to feel when she sees the box? How do I want her to feel when she sees that sitting in her room kind of feeling? You can actually start to approach something with, um, with more complexity that actually starts to move it from uh, good to great. The other thing that I was going to say here is that I think oftentimes we are uncomfortable constantly pushing on an idea about something because it means that we are picky or we are kind of extra. But anybody that has been described as exceptional is obsessed about X, Y, or Z. There's something really interesting about that. I can have an incredible speech or I can do something really incredible and I can give it a A, 
And I can tell you the three to four things I can do to make it an A plus. And that is, that's interesting to me. And I think that is what I'm interested in, in engendering and conjuring within myself, that Harriet spirit uh, within life, Harriet Tubman. Everything comes back to Harriet Tubman for me. <laughs> and is this like something that you've always had? Is this something that people can develop? Is it like, is it a muscle that we can like make stronger with time or is it you either have it or you don't? You know, watching, I am getting better with each Monday through Sunday. I wouldn't have replied, answered this question the way I'm about to answer it now. I am ambitious. I didn't know that about myself probably until about four years ago or something like that. I didn't. Okay, y'all, Chaplin has been in the C-suite for almost a decade, right? But didn't know that you, yep. My sister taught me this is that she's everybody doesn't want to lead at the level you want to lead. Everybody doesn't um, isn't interested in staying in conversation with their greatness. Um, And that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with that. And so when you talk about can anyone do it, if you are interested in being one of the best, you have to get comfortable with living a deeply unreasonable life. And an unreasonable life might be something slightly nuanced. You're going to do the extra set when someone says you only have to do three sets. You're going to do four. When you, um, you're going to read the things that nobody expects you to read. You're going to go and get your MBA in places that other people, when you talk about you want to stay in this field, don't expect you to go. You are going to you, you are going to marinate in unreasonable energy and you're okay with that. Um, and so, yes, I think it can be learned. I think it can um, be introduced and tightened, et cetera. But you have to understand who you are. A lot of times we want to act as though we want to be Beyonce, but we would never do what it takes to create that Coachella performance. You would never even approach it that way. And that's okay. But every, that's why everybody's not bad. But there are people who are willing to do what she does, not just for Coachella, but she approaches that regarding anything she's doing. And that's a reasonable energy. If you want to, um, uh, if you want to have those types of outcomes, yeah, it's possible. But you just have to, you have to be in real conversation with yourself regarding whether you are deeply ambitious or you're not. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, so for as long as I've known you, you've been someone who is very strategic about your career, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you're you not inflexible, but you you do have a strategy around it. So how do you, how have you known in the past when it's been time for you to move on to your next opportunity? I thought about this. I don't know if I ever know when it's definitively time to move on. But I do do two things. One is I stay ready. And somebody taught me this. I can't remember who, but I stay ready. Your resume always needs to be updated. Um, One. Two, um, if you find something that's interesting, even if you're not interested in the job right now, be in conversation with that executive recruiter, be in conversation with that person because you're about building networks. And sometimes 
that conversation can actually spur something to for you to look differently about your current role. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the ways that um, I have known is that when you when you actually have that conversation, like, huh, and you just kind of keep staying in that conversation, that's a sign. The other thing is that you have to honor that there are people who are charged with setting the vision. The most senior person in the organization, one or two. And when you can no longer be enlisted in that vision, you need to move on. There's so many people who are like, I can't believe, I can't believe. Go be somewhere where you can either enlist in the vision or you can set the vision. But that's not your job is not to create the vision. So when I'm no longer in alignment with the vision, it's time to move on. And um, so you, you talk about staying ready and having conversations. And if Chastity really wanted to, she could name drop for the rest of this podcast and it still wouldn't be enough time. Um, so you are one of the people who has the most like n- like the deepest networks, right? And it's not like surface, but like your network has substance to it. It has reach mm-hmm. to it and you have, have like actual conversation. And so how did you go about coming from being first generation, knowing nothing and nobody, to now being able to talk to Ava about whatever it is that you're talking about and creating programs with the Obamas and, and all that jazz. Like where, how did you fill that gap? One, I said yes a lot. Two, I'm willing to be a student. I'm willing to do the work. Um, three, I am going to be one of the best. I don't, I'm not interested in being the best because I don't have to be on in competition, but I am interested in being amongst a constellation of stars. And that is just how I live my life. And that is just how I'm going to show up. And with that, most people are interested who are being around that energy if they too are a constellation of stars. You can pick it up. You can be, you can be, um, Flying, I know, remember the day I used to be on a plane once a week. And you can um, know the the flight attendant who's about that flight attendant life. Like she or they are about making sure that this experience is going to be memorable. You can check into a hotel and know who's about it. The constellation of stars, that's my kind of. And so when I think about a network, is I'm not the person who is um, going to be reaching out to 10 to 15 people each year, sending like um, annual letters and kind of all of that. But what I am, if I say I'm going to do something, it's going to get done. And if I am not able to do it, I'm going to stand in the fire and say, sorry, I dropped the ball. It's not going to be a bunch of excuses around kind of fill in the blank. Um, And I think those are some of the ways is like when people know that they can count on you and the other thing is, I was just um, uh, on the phone with um, Daryl Cobb, who's there in Chicago, and he reached out to me around kind of a brainstorming. And I said, I'm going to approach this really non-traditionally. He said, that's why I called you. I'm willing to say the thing that might be the red envelope. If you think about Netflix, you know, kind of within the context of blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, why not X, Y, and Z? Like, And so I think that's also... Um, where people want to be in conversation because they feel like they get better. Um, so those are some of the things that I would say. Um, so we talk about conversation and like, if you know Chaffee, communication is down. Your girl is very direct. Like she's not very, she's not being around the good. She's not about to waste her time, right? And so she gets into it. She gets deep really like really quickly. And so how do you 
think about your communication style as a leader, right? And like the stereotypes that come with being a black woman who is direct, who doesn't do like all of that extra stuff, right? Like you're an effective communicator, but you're also a direct communicator. Like, do you think about not falling into stereotypes or people labeling you as such and adjust your communication style? Or are you just like, I say what I say? No. Um, you know, one of the things when you talk about say what I said, I think um, if a person's just interested in throwing the ball, if you think about catching, good luck with that. Just say what you say. I'm interested in playing catch. I'm interested in being in conversation with somebody. So I have to pay attention. Do you need me to underhand it? Can you catch a spiral? And so there are times where, once again, I'm a student of what do I need to do so that you can actually be in conversation with me? And then once we are in conversation, if you don't deliver, that's a completely different thing. But I want you to catch the ball. And so I am wedded to making sure that I'm communicating in a way that you can catch it. The thing, though, I would say is as a leader, especially a senior leader, is I get to curate my ecosystem. And I know the type of uh, communicator I am. I know the type of leader I am. And so when I'm thinking about VPs, when I'm thinking about my chief of staff, when I'm thinking about my executive assistant, I need to make sure there are people who actually complement and create a balanced ecosystem. They can't be a bunch of mini chastities around because that nobody's going to want to pay catch with us. And so I also think about the larger ecosystem within the context of balancing and creating that um, overarching culture. I also will say one thing regarding communication that I learned a ton is um, articulating your point. What's your headline? What are your two to three things to actually support that and come back to the headline? And then let people ask questions. Um, it's something that I really kind of struggled and grappled with uh, because I love concepts. I love ideas, kind of big pictures. But in a lot of ways, everybody can't take, can't be circuitous with me. So I'll give the headline two to three points, come back to it and create a space for um for questions is another uh, tip within the context of that. But directness is a style, but as you get more senior, you need to make sure that you are surrounding yourself with people who create a larger ecosystem, but also people who are truth tellers, which I love, you know? Like, mm -hmm. you might need to take a day off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and as you, as you talk about curating your team, right? Um, right now, a lot of the conversations that I'm having with the women that I choose the latter community is how do they provide value to their bosses or to their managers? Because typically, like, COVID has changed the way that we work, right? Before somebody being in the office a lot was like a valuable thing or being able to stop by your boss's office and like catch up. Like that was an option that was easily accessible. So for you, like what is the recommendation on how employees can provide value or show their value to their managers, to their bosses in this new non-traditional working environment? That's one of the questions I enjoyed that um, you shared with me watching is I think one of the things, and this is a lesson that I've recently just um, captured, like really caught, you know, sometimes you like, you're juggling, you know, uh, um, um, a reality, a new, um, a new norm, a new constant, but I've really caught this one, is that do not align yourself with the manager, do not align yourself with the company, do not align yourself with the organization. What are, what's the mission? 
what are the quarterly priorities? What are the annual priorities? What are the goals that have been communicated the most important? Align your behavior, align your thinking. That prioritization I was talking about, the managing to outcomes with that. And that in itself will start to help you elevate and get more kind of affirmation and visibility. When you are trying to um, pick up on the nuance of a human being and you're not in relations, romantic relationship with them, or you're trying to deal with the, the ever-shifting nature of humanity, it, 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 there's, it's fraught with peril. And it's not that that isn't a part of a working relationship, but when you're really thinking about how do you add value, I think most people underestimate when the goal has been articulated, when the priorities have been articulated, making sure that when you're thinking about what is the most important thing to do, when you're thinking about how to spend your time, when you're thinking about what to elevate, when you're thinking about what connections to make, they have communicated that to you. They typically have communicated to the shareholders. They've communicated to a host of different people, making sure that you're aligning your time and your energy around that. That is concrete and that's doable versus trying to figure out what they're going to be like on Zoom the next day or, you know, the next meeting. Um, so I think I mentioned earlier, like you've been doing the senior leadership thing at a high level for pretty much close to a decade. Um, have you ever struggled with imposter syndrome? And if you have, um, how have you or some, some tangible things that you added to your own life to help you? convince yourself, even though you have all of them, you have the degrees, you have the performance, like the proof of performance, but if you have struggled with imposter syndrome, how have you kind of gotten it under control if you have? The way that I think about imposter syndrome is, um, and I think this is really important, especially for a little black girl from uh, Los Angeles um, who lives a life that um, my parents couldn't have imagined, is that Imposter syndrome is around finding myself in places that I didn't think people like me got tickets to. That's part of it. But it's also about doing things that have never been done before, that I've never done before. And you just got to fake it till you make it. And then there's some of it is this, this time that we're in watching this duality of pandemics, whether it's COVID-19, what I like to call the racial awakening, nobody has led in a moment like this before. Nobody has led in a moment like this before. And as the CEO of my organization, people are looking to me to actually set tone and cadence. And in some ways, I have to shoot my shot. I have to use all of my training in service of this moment. And hell yeah, you feel like an imposter because I need to engender confidence. Um, And I need to engender confidence and let people know kind of what steps they need to take in order for us to um, kind of move this moment. But I also just want to say that I hope I never lose discomfort. And I think that is the healthy part of imposter syndrome. I hope I never lose discomfort. Um, I'm getting an emotion. I have a little five-year-old boy. And there are times where I wonder what's going to be the thing that will be his crestfalling moment from his childhood. I mean, I, I'm doing my best. We're doing our best as parents. And, but I would be lying if I knew everything that I need to be doing in this moment. How do I make sure that 
this pandemic doesn't scar him? How do I know? I mean, imposter syndrome is the healthy part of that is the uh, discomfort and the uncertainty. And so there's parts of that that I hope I don't ever lose, that I hope I hold on to. I hope that I'm the leader who's willing to um, do the things that I haven't seen or haven't read about because I feel it's the right thing to do. And I have to engender confidence and enlist people in the vision and do so confidently. So yeah, I'm going to have to fake it till I make it there. Um, and so there's a part of that that I that I think is healthy and beautiful. And I hope people understand that um, most people that I know who are incredibly successful. Um, can I curse? Yeah. Bullshit. If uh, you should run for the hills, if anybody says that um, they're good all the time, that's just not true. Um, and you've had the opportunity to manage very diverse teams, right? Like you've managed people from everywhere. Are there um, maybe like mishaps that you see us as Black women making in, in the workplace that are, whether it's conscious or unconscious, right? Maybe we just don't know that our counterparts aren't that could be negatively impacting our career progression. Um, and if so, like what do you recommend we do about it? I definitely have... Um manage really diverse teams. Like I've had general counsels report to me and I didn't go to law school. Um, one of the things that I think managing is and leading is it's not around, especially at a very senior level, it's not around the ability to do that person's job. Mm -hmm. It's the ability to get on the balcony with that person mm -hmm. and really listen to what the challenge is what the goal is and what they anticipate or they deem the challenges are to them moving closer to that goal and unpacking with them and posing questions and really, really listening because oftentimes similar to therapy, you will talk your way where you need to go. Really good managing, really good leadership for me for diversified teams are is really about making sure people can get on the balcony, making sure that people can get out of the, the immediate and the right now. And that's diversified around skill set, diversified around racial, diverse, uh, racial diversity or geographic diversity or political diversity. It's around, once again, anchoring back around those priorities, those goals, the mission, and moving out of this kind of qualitative um, what do you believe? What do you don't believe? Because in those moments where I feel that fissure around those things, that's what I anchor around. And that's what I just make sure that we're tied to. Uh, and oftentimes within the context of that, that Audre Lorde transforming silence, sister outside a chapter bubbles up that I talk about all the time. It's not our differences that separate us, our silence. And then I can able to see some of the humanity within the individual that allows us to start to thread some of those other seeds. Um, so I have two more questions before the okay. fire mouth. How has, or has this time in the, the multiple pandemics that we've got, like we are currently going through, how has that changed how you look or approach the work that you do? Yeah. Um, another emotional time, just to be really candid. I think not only are we still in it, I think people think we're in, um, seventh or eighth inning, if I'm using baseball or, you know, fourth quarter, if I'm using basketball and we're really, you know, maybe at the bottom of the second inning, we're just still in first quarter. And 
there's there's a couple of things. One is I'm gonna quote Wayne Gretzky, this hockey player. He says, "Don't run to where the puck is. Run to where it's going." Mm-hmm. And one of the big things that is happening right now, people are treading water. They're in the pool and they're like, we just can't wait till we get through this time. And I keep telling folks, put your feet down. There's no water in the pool. And uh, we need to kind of move to the next thing. And so my, the way that I'm thinking about leadership is not just trying to figure out where the puck is going. I'm trying to watch, and this is me behaving magnificent, magnificently. I am trying to influence the direction of the puck. So what do I need to do to influence the direction of the puck? Because this is so shape-shifting. This is an incredible opportunity to just not look at the direction, but to be able to influence the direction. Mm-hmm. And the duality of the pandemics, I sit in the center of it. As a Black woman, as a Black queer woman, as a Black queer woman married to a non-American, as a Black queer woman married to a non-American with a Black son, I sit at this really beautiful intersection And in this moment, I can just call on my heroes and sheroes. I can call on Harriet. I can call on Frida. I can call on these folks or I can become them. This is my moment. This is the moment that um, I have read about, that I have heralded, that I have celebrated. And I can be courageous in this moment. And so for me in this moment, it's about how do I make sure that I am owning all of my privilege that I'm owning all of my identities, where people are on their heels, just uncomfortable around um, what to move or what not to move. It's in this moment for me to say, this is the vision. This is the vision that I haven't been able to talk about because we didn't want to acknowledge that there was disparity in our country. And now all of a sudden I can talk to you about, you can't have an unjust criminal justice system if you have don't have an unjust housing system and an education system. They have to work in concert with each other, otherwise it would be off balance. And if we are going to approach equity, if we're going to approach justice, we have to be willing to be in conversation with the nucleus of all of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this moment, it's deeply emotional because um, it, requires all of me every day uh, and it's exhausting. It's in perpetual bring your child to work day. Uh, It's exhausting because you are having to hold people's emotion and fear. And to be frankly, it's crestfalling and overwhelming mostly because there's not a shared reality. One of the things that has happened in this moment is that a shared reality hasn't been laid out for us all to be responding to or not responding to. Different people are approaching everything with such disparity. Um, But this moment right now will be in the history books watching for decades and decades and centuries to come. This right here is June Jordan. We are who we've been waiting for. This is not the time to tap out. This is not the time to play small. This is not the time to um, worry about just keeping your jobs. You need to be in your job. You need to be present. You need to lead, especially for women, especially for women of color, especially for people who deeply, deeply believe in social justice principles. This is the moment. This is the incredible moment we have to um, to reimagine, to curate, to author something incredibly different. We are the people. This is our hero and hero moment in this incredible way. Yeah. And you just talked about you have a whole wife, a yep. whole son, a whole emotionally draining job. What does balance look like for you? And like, in not Chastity, the CEO, but Chastity, the human 
who also need to like recharge and live a life and all those things? Like, how have you, how do you look at balance? I don't believe in balance. Okay. I believe in integration. Okay. Um, believe in just real integration. I believe in listening to you one's body. I believe in doing the work. But going back to that watching, I also understand that I'm ambitious. I also understand that I have unreasonable energy. I also understand that I'm interested in Coachella moments. And so I can't be afraid of doing too much. With that said, I believe in, for me, it's meditation. For me, it's sleep. For me, it's exercise. For me, it's being willing to be surrounded by people in a community who can be truth tellers to me, who can say, I think you need a break or you need this or you need that. But I am not in pursuit of balance. I'm in pursuit of Harriet Tubman energy. I'm in pursuit of someone who wasn't a human being, who didn't have, you know, Marion Williamson or didn't have Oprah, who didn't have self-help books and said, you know what, I'm going to bet on myself. I don't know what's on the other side, my friend, but this ain't it who didn't just do that. She was willing to give voice and enlist someone in that vision and take them with her. That's what, that's what I'm doing. And that's the way that I construct and organize my life. I'm not trying to be balanced. I am trying to live a magnificent, uh, incredibly powerful life within the context of that. But it doesn't mean that I don't take care of myself. It doesn't mean that I don't show up and be present for my family and be present for moments like this. It just means that I have a different equation that I'm playing a different type of calculus. Mm, that that was a tweet right there. That, that I'm not in pursuit of that, 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 that's it. That's it right there. Um, oh my God, I forgot my last question. I was so excited. I was like, I need to write this down because I need to remind myself all the time of like what you are in pursuit of because that informs the decisions that you make about what you will and you will not do. Oh my God, I'm getting chills. Chastity, you're so great. Um, wait, what was my last question for you? Oh, so with as much as you are able to share, what do you think, and whether, and this is not a judgment on if you're okay or not okay with it, but the, the sacrifices, right? Like in order to get Coachella moments, right? There is a, an immense amount of sacrifice that goes into that. And so what do you think like the biggest sacrifice that you've had to make in order to be excellent? And it's not a judgment call. If it's a good sacrifice or a bad sacrifice, it just is what it is. For me, it's around organizing, prioritizing, managing to outcomes. It's the sacrifice is not pretending that I care about things that other people want me to care about. Um, So that isn't a prioritization for me. My priority is my family, um, my spouse, my son, um, my friends, Um, My prioritization is saying yes to people who remind me of where uh, I have been and and are part of my journey within the context that my priority isn't, um, you know, the club or it's just not and I'm not going to pretend that it is it just isn't. The, the priority for me, I don't have to know the latest X, Y, or Z. That's not important to me within the context of that. I would also say it's lonely, though. Because people love Coachella once they see it. But when you are curating Coachella, people don't have an image of it. And so they just see it as being deeply, deeply unreasonable and and whatever other adjective in there. And so it's lonely holding a vision and knowing what you're capable of in the absence of it being done before. 
And I think about Harriet once again, it must have been lonely to have this idea and to bet on oneself and to get to, to, to get on the other side. But my friend, she came back. She took it to a whole nother level within the context of that. And so I would say um, I give up a, a shared awareness or a shared um, um, understanding around how I'm wired or what I'm doing um, would be the um, biggest thing. But I think when you're authentically optimistic, authentically ambitious, authentically, authentically un- uh, unreasonable, um, I don't know. I, I no. I, I I don't think I'm missing out on anything. Um, it just. How do you not let the How do you not let the loneliness swallow you though? Right. Like how do you How do you hold fast to the vision when you feel like nobody really un- and obviously people yeah. got your vision, so they're not going to see what it is that you see. Huh? But like the loneliness is real, right? Like when you are not going to brunches, not going to all these things, not doing all the social things. And like you are grinding, yeah. it can be overwhelming. So how do you not get swallowed up by the loneliness? I think it's important for you to have your front row. Uh, you think about an auditorium. There's lots of people in my life in the auditorium, but your front row, there's less seats up there. They're much more proximate to what's going on on stage. Oftentimes you can see what's going on behind stage when you're in the front row. And I will give voice to my spouse about loneliness. I will give voice to my um, my younger sister about it. I think you have, I've gotten to a place where I'll give voice to it. I said, I don't feel, I feel different. Um, that I'm about, I want to do something that's different than you. And people who love you, like, go Chastity, Chastity needs to go do her thing. You know, like, um, you know, she's going to need a place to go kind of make that magic happen. And people who love you, love just not um, who you are. They love who you're becoming. Mm. Okay. So next, this is really quick. Uh, Lightning round. Don't think about it too much. It comes to your mind. Um, What's one piece of career advice you wish you'd gotten sooner in your career? Hmm. I wish I would have gotten, um, be willing to be present, be like really present with where you are. Um, your career is made up of a series of moments. People are so wedded to, uh, falling in love. They don't know what it means to stay in love. You gotta, you gotta be present in <laughs> where you, where don't you come for me. Don't come for me today. Um, What's the career lesson that took you the longest to learn, but has had the biggest impact on your career? Why not you? Mm-hmm. Who cares that you've never seen it? Why not you? Um, what's one book that you could read over and over again? I would say two. One is Managing Transitions um, by uh, William Bridges. <laughs> Anybody that's in senior leadership, you're going to manage lots of transitions. And the second one I've been reading uh, a couple of times over the past year, uh, Building a Powerful Culture by Pat McRoy, uh, former on uh, Netflix. Got it. And then the last question, um, we all know that decisions about your career are made when you are not in the room. So what do you hope people are saying about you when you're not in the room? Hmm. Um, she's authentically optimistic. Uh, she is a vision enlister. And my gosh, that girl's energy is deeply unreasonable. And on that note, Chastity, thank you. This conversation was well worth it. We were going to have to shoot it in Bermuda. We were going, we were trying to figure out how to make this thing work. 
because chastity is on the move all the time. We've got a whole wife and a whole child. Um, but thank you for making the time. And um, I just love you so much. Thank, thank you so much for watching. I needed this. This right here was uh, food for my soul. I love it. I love it. You guys go out there. Be great. Be great. Be okay with it. It's going to be all right. We're going to be all right. But we got to do the work. Much love, everyone. Listen, when Chastity talked about the pursuit of Harriet Tubman energy, I was like, listen, you just, like, I didn't need anything else at that point. So I hope now you guys see why I was so excited to have Chastity on the podcast. But you all know that I like to end every episode with my three gems. One is you are going to need a different mindset if you are in pursuit of Coachella moments, right? The, the excellence that is required and the habits that are required to have those moments in your career. Definitely gonna need that. Two, that taking care of yourself looks different for different people. Um, we talk about that all the time with like balance and you know work-life integration, but it just looks different. Um, for some it's exercising, for some it's you know delving deeper into their work, but like you get to decide um, how that shows up for you. And then two, uh, I'm sorry, and the third thing is like, taking things to the next level from good to excellent and how you can be strategic around planning your excellence consistently. As always, if you want to keep the conversation going, you can connect with us through our newsletter by texting CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. You can find us on Instagram at I Choose the Ladder or on Facebook at I Choose the Ladder Podcast. Until next time, thank you for listening.